Hello everyone, I'm Dr. Darsh Shah. And I'm Dr. Ultima Shraja. And welcome to Medicine Redefined. A podcast where we will explore the often overlooked but necessary components of health, what we consider to be the fundamentals. We will investigate topics and practices that can give you and your patients the best chance to optimize a healthy lifestyle. It's time to move the needle forward and put the health back in healthcare. Our guest today is Dr. Jess Daigle. She's a pediatrician who specializes in newborn concierge medicine, placing an emphasis on individualized attention, comprehensive support, and nurturing the overall well-being of both the newborn and their family. Having witnessed the transformative power of a tailored approach to healthcare, Dr. Daigle made a conscious decision to depart from traditional medical practices and delve into the world of concierge medicine. Through her work, she aims to redefine the newborn experience, particularly during the critical fourth trimester, and challenge the existing healthcare norms by offering an alternative, empowering path for parents. Her expertise encompasses a wide range of topics, including newborn care, postpartum support, breastfeeding, sleep training, and early childhood development. You can expect a refreshing perspective and valuable insights into newborn concierge medicine, the significance of the fourth trimester, and the transformative power of leaving traditional medical practices behind in this episode. Dr. Jess Daigle is truly an inspiring healthcare professional who is making a profound impact on the lives of newborns and their families, one personalized journey at a time. And now for the episode. Dr. Jess, thank you so much for coming on to Medicine Redefined. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, pleasure is mine as well. So, you know, I was really curious when I was doing some research, listening to some of the episodes that you've been on other podcasts, I've never met or talked to anyone who's gone from medical student to doing like concierge pediatrics and more specifically newborns and helping postpartum mothers. Tell me about your journey. How did you get interested in that and then really figure out that's kind of the way you wanted to practice? Yeah. So um, from young, I always knew I wanted to be a pediatrician, particularly a baby doctor. Um, I saw my first preterm infant and I was like, I'm in love. <laughs> and so I, um, I set out on that journey to become a neonatologist. And so, you know, went through all the traditional training, you know, all the regular school, then in med school to get residency. And in my residency, I actually ended up having like a miscarriage. And that was my first window into um, understanding more about um, how doctors interact with their patients, because I felt like I was treated like a doctor going through the mm. process instead of a patient. Um, and then I had my husband who wasn't really understanding why we couldn't make certain interventions, you know, and um, I realized that, you know, the healthcare team wasn't really catering to his lack of knowledge of the, of the incident. And so um, that was like my first thing, like, hmm, you know, like you file that away. Right. And then um, I ended up getting pregnant again. And then my son was preterm and this was going into the um, end of my senior year in pediatrics residency and he was born at 31 weeks and um was in the NICU for about five weeks and so um I was like well look at that I want to be a, a NICU doctor and I'm having my own preterm infant <laughs> I was like I like having that experience right that real life experience um and that also then to open my eyes into like more what our patients are going through like the struggles they're enduring especially with bringing home a preterm infant um, he had to go back on tube feedings and just other things that it was a struggle and it didn't matter that I was a physician. Um, I still had to deal with the same emotional turmoils and doubts and fears that I imagined my patients were going through. Um, and so then I got into fellowship, but I was separated from him a little bit. 
And so then I ended up resigning uh, because I, you know, it's one of those things, and this is why I'm so passionate about helping moms and babies now is because a lot of people don't really know what motherhood is like and it's until you're in it. And I didn't really know what kind of mom I would be. I don't know if anybody really knows what kind of parent they're going to be, right? I think you have hopes and dreams, like this is the way I will parent. <laughs> but I, I was really like struggling being separated from him. Like I felt real guilty and like, how am I pursuing doing this when I, you know, I have my own preterm infant that I need to take care of, right? So um, I resigned from fellowship and ended up getting a job in a level two NICU, which was great. So I was able to combine the knowledge that I'd already attained in that first year, um, but, you know, and continue on helping the patient population that I wanted to help. So, you know, I did it for six years and then I was like, but I feel like there's more to me. And, you know, and that's where that book made for more um, that we did with Dr. Una and some of the other women in the Entrepreneur Business School was perfect because I felt that resonated with me. Like, yes, I have so much more to give. And, you know, but I didn't realize that about myself at first, you know, I only had that one dream. Right. And so um, then I started to think, well, what do I enjoy about my patient encounters? And I love like educating my families, like the bedside right there with families, especially explaining to them what's going on with their baby, helping them through difficult times. I feel like that was my skill set. That was my gift. And I was like, how can I spread that out a little bit more than just the hospital? And so I had also just simultaneously been thinking about old school medicine. And interestingly, when, from my personal statement to med school, I actually had talked about my draw to becoming a doctor was that old school medicine of that personalized care of mm -hmm. feeling like you, you would hear people describe how the doctor come to their house. Cause you know, that was even before my time, but I, I like the idea of that, that personal and you being vulnerable because medicine is vulnerable. It is personal. Like you're, I mean, like it's your health, like your money and your health are like the two things that I think you get personal with, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, you know, like with, for somebody to trust us with the, their vulnerabilities like that, I think that's special. And I think that we should look at that as a privilege and how can we preserve that relationship? What I, what I like to think was that good doctor patient relationship. And so, but I talked about in my personal statement, how you know, it was, you could see medicine was changing even while I was in school and going into medical school. Like you hear other doctors talking about, I actually used to get discouraged. People say, don't, uh, don't go into healthcare. It's like turning crazy. Insurance is taking over, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't get it. I didn't really get what they meant by that until being mm -hmm. out in the workforce. And you're like, man, they were right. They were telling the yep. truth. Like, you go to school to be help people. And then you get out and start working and you realize there are so many systems and politics, the business of medicine, all these things that tend to hinder you from doing what you really set out to do. Like I think 99 probably percent of the people who set out to be a doctor really had altruistic reasons for doing so, right? Right. So I was it was a combination of who I like to serve, taking care of moms and babies, and being able to provide that time in, in an outpatient setting too, because the hospital, I was unrestricted. I could sit at the patient's bedside if I wanted to for 15, 20, 30 minutes if we had to through things, I wasn't really restricted. And so I was like, how can I recreate that on an outpatient basis? And I stayed away from general clinic because you are forced to see so many people. Like they want you to hurry up. I remember when I was in residency, I used to get in trouble all the time because they'd be like, you're in there too long with that patient. <laughs> the RDUs, yeah. <laughs> I was like, the mom, she's a 16 year old and she just found out she's pregnant. You can't talk to her in five minutes, you know? And so, you know, just little different things like that. And so I was like, you know what? Who's to say that I can't create the practice that I desire, right? So I started to do some research and I found this um, 
this Indian doctor, which I love her, Dr. Naya Patel, and she's in Colorado and she was doing like the concierge medicine. I, I, I Google like home care. Cause I was like, well, people do home health. Like home health has always been right. there, but it's been other people like traditionally nurses and, you know, like therapists and things like that. So I was like, well, why we can't bring the doctor back? to the home exactly. right like everybody else goes and so um, when i saw she was doing it i felt so encouraged about this is possible for me because you know someone's already doing it you know you feel a little bit more justified in for your sure. <laughs> so that that's really how i got into the desire to do it and even since then like i resigned from the hospital last year i had started working on it a little bit before that i've even evolved a little bit more into my understanding of what are the needs that a mom really has? Because even me going to the home as a pediatrician is technically not enough. They really need like a care team of people that's helping them um, on their journey because it's not one person that can do everything for them. So that's something I'm exploring even now. Like how can what I want to do be a part of the bigger picture? Yeah, for sure. I, I love that story. Right? I think when the pre-med, when, when, when pre-meds listen to this, I mean, they got to, they got to replay the, the, the first seven minutes of this episode. Um, Cause there's, there's so much value in what you talked about. I mean, I, I mentioned this a lot of times that as an 18 year old, you're, you're a pre-medical student and you have this dream of just helping people, you know, and yeah. of sure, along with that comes the money and the prestige and yeah. being a doctor and it's a dream. Yeah. Right. But in yeah. the end you get, you, you're there and you just imagine yourself in a white coat making a life-saving decision, right? And then you get into medical school and we have no idea what medical school is like as a pre-med. Go yeah. through it, take your exams, whatever. And then you go into residency and as a med student, you have no idea what a resident, you know, truly is. You just see them, yeah. you shadow them, you talk to them. Then you're in yeah. residency and you're like, all right, I'm a real doctor now, but you have no yeah. idea what attending life is like, right? And so I always talk about when you connect the dots from pre-med to attendinghood, you're 18 and you have no idea what you're going to get yourself into, which I totally understand why so many people say, don't do this path. Like you're just going to be in front of a computer. And Hey, as much as I love admin work, I would much rather talk to people. Like that's my strong suit. That's your strong suit. Yeah. Like we love yeah. coaching and helping people in front of yeah. us. And so yeah. I see a lot of value in, in what you're saying. Was there a turning point, you know, as you were the patient going through this, was there a specific conversation that you remember or a specific event that made you say, I want to switch the way I take care of patients, right? Rather than be in the hospital, rather than be in clinic, obviously, because you're seeing so many patients in so little time. Was there a true turning point um, during your journey that said, I'm going to now shift over to this type of work? Well, I, I feel like I've always been a truly curious, curious person. Um, I've always wanted to know why and understand things. And, and, and especially like my husband is always like, don't doctor me like when I come, when it, when it come home. <laughs> He's like, you're not at work anymore because I'm always like, well, why did you want to do that? Like, well, why didn't you go that way? You know, he's like, oh. So I think I've always been a very curious person, which I think has served me in my medical journey because I've always wanted to learn more and being, you know, it wasn't, it didn't feel like a struggle for me. I was, it was always like, hmm, let me see why that is. Why does that muscle move that way, right? Um, but I, I, I can, I can serve for sure tell you when I was a resident and observing, I, I really. Um, took to observing my attendings and senior residents, like how they approached patients. And I told myself that I was going to take all the good parts of what I'm learning and anything I thought, mm, that's probably not a good idea. M make note of that too. <laughs> yeah. So I, I used to like, when I would watch around, I would look, I would be, you know, observe the attending that was really good at reassuring a mom, like, I noticed the difference when, you know, this mom was worried about this, but after this conversation, 
because this person was so good at explaining or whatever, you know, um, now they feel a little bit more reassured or whatever. Um, I think though, I think one, I paid attention and I decided what kind of doctor I wanted to be very early on. And then when I had kids, I then had that extra layer of understanding of what a family, like how important it is to make sure that they understand what's going on with their kids instead of it just being like, I'm the doctor, do what I say. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I realized the team approach was so much more rewarding and, um, and almost like taking the arrogance out of uh, out of the medicine, which I think is one of the things that we do need to do. Like, I think we've forgotten how much of a privilege it is. And we're just kind of moving forward in arrogance in a lot of ways, instead of being like, yeah. you know what, I'm partnering with my patient on their health journey, right? It's right. different if somebody feels like you're in it with them versus, you know, like you just, this, yeah, this, this, totally. this, like, everybody bucks that kind of system eventually, you know, it's like, right. but if you like, but this person really cares about my outcome and they're taking the time to show that because they value that I need to understand certain things. They're valuing my questions. They're not, they're not looking at it as a challenge. They're looking at it as, you know what, maybe I do need to explain a little bit more about this hypertension or this diabetes or whatever mm -hmm. it is. You know, cause sometimes we take for granted that people really understand stuff when they really don't. Um, and so, I think it's a combination of just early on deciding what kind of doctor I'd be and then letting my life experiences factor into that and kind of reinforce that even more. Yeah, love that. Ultimash, you know, my co-host, unfortunately couldn't make it today. Um, but me and him always talk about the root meaning of doctor, right? In Latin means docere, to teach. And, yeah. you know, one of the quotes that I love, I forget who said it, might have been Einstein, but he said, like, knowledge, that feeling of when you truly understand something is ecstasy, right? And, like, I want to give yeah. that to my patients so that they feel empowered to take over yes. their life's journey, right? And uh, their health, um, which is like, the most important thing you have in this world, in my opinion. I mean, without it, yeah. you're not here in this world, right? So That's love true. that. Love I that. love I, that too, I, actually. I, didn't have to, I, didn't, I never looked up the word doctor, like it's origin. See, look, I'm learning something yeah. now myself. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. I'm curious um, to hear about your practice and let's get into kind of the science of it and the, and, and okay. how your, your relationship with moms and newborns. So you talk yeah. about how you help in the fourth trimester. Can you explain yeah. what that is? Yeah. So the fourth trimester, which was a term coined by a pediatrician, actually, it's like, go Pete. <laughs> um, <laughs> as Dr. Harvey Carp. And so he, he postulated that newborns were still undergoing a lot of changes, even though they were external. So, you know, we like to think, oh, okay, the baby is born. That's it. Well, they're still having to go through a lot of physiological changes and they're still learning. And so he thought that maybe we were kind of rushing <laughs> like the babies as well, mm -hmm. but also along with that, the moms are also undergoing their own physiological changes and hormonal changes. And I remember I used to laugh before, you know, I had kids when people used to be like, Oh, those pregnancy hormones. I used to think that they were like exaggerating. <laughs> and I was like, I feel like, I feel ashamed to say that as a woman, but it's true. Like, it's I just kind of felt like people were just like generalizing it, like, you know, trying to label women. But the truth is there are hormonal changes that are affecting your mood and affecting um, like, you know, even like your body composition and just so much is going into um, into that, that process of after having a baby. And when I reflected on my own journey, I'm like, yes, like you're undergoing so much. And then you're trying to, you know, see who you are now as this mother, mm -hmm. this 
role. And then you have this baby and you're like, I'm responsible for a person. Like, and you have to sit with that. Like, that's deep, actually. <laughs> like, you have a whole life that is like relying on you. It's no longer just you having to be concerned for yourself. And I started to realize that we don't really prepare women. I had a mom actually um, that I saw on one of my local assignments recently in um, Instagram. She was like, Three, I asked her, like, what are three things she didn't know, you know, when she was coming to new mom? And she was like, no one told me it was hard. Like, I just feel like my <laughs> parents didn't tell me. They just said it was great and the baby was cute. And she's like, you know, the baby, my baby is cute and stuff. But no one prepared me for the complete life change. She said, no one told me that I was going to be kind of, you know, uh, mourning my old life, you know, while I'm living this new life. And, um, and that I needed that I wasn't going to just bounce back right away to the person I used to be, you know. And um, so I kind of asked her some probing questions to get at, like, well, what what did, what do you want your life to look like right now? What do you what do you envision? And in reality, if someone had told you it was hard, what difference would it have made for you? You know, because sometimes somebody can tell you something, but until you're in it, it's like just like we just said, like yeah. people. <laughs> don't go be a doctor you're like but i mean this is my dream like you know and you don't have the same perspective as them so we still go ahead because we're like we just somehow think maybe our experience is going to be different well you know you know you know that humanity like we always think maybe they just have a different story than us you know Mm -hmm. and so but the truth is they were telling the truth like it is hard or it is whatever right and so um, I always just tell parents, instead of more than um, focusing on that that's why i work so hard to validate that experience because some things I cannot change for you. I cannot change that labor is painful, but I can support you in it, right? I can say, yes, I do get that. This is hard, but hey, what about this? This is what we can do to alleviate that pain or alleviate that struggle. And so um, that's really what the fourth trimester is. It's really that transition period from being pregnant to getting into that, to that really into your motherhood journey. Yeah. And it definitely seems like a crucial period. Actually, one of the questions I was going to ask you, which you just answered was what makes a mother feel so vulnerable in that period? But I think you answered it beautifully. I mean, right. It's not just the hormones, but it's also this, I don't want to say existential crisis, but it's almost this like thinking about life and your life and your new purpose and meaning possibly um, as you do have to take care of somebody now, right? That's a huge responsibility that like you said, no one knows until you're, until you go through it yourself you know, resident and seeing people and with their new babies. And I was like, oh, this baby is cute. But I wasn't going home to take care of this baby. I wasn't yeah. sleep the problems and worried about if they're going to eat right and why they have this new rash and why does their poop look like this and why are they shaking? I mean, babies do so much right. stuff that's normal. But if you don't know, you think you're like breaking them for real. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to go through some of the lifestyle factors that you would teach or things that you have value on um, that you would tell mothers when it comes to themselves or their newborns. First, I want to talk about is emotional health, right? We just kind of touched on it a little bit, but it's depression after delivery seems to be very commonplace and oftentimes mm-hmm. goes either undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. Yes. How do we, how do we raise the rates of accurate diagnosis, right? From a patient advocacy standpoint, but also from a physician, right? A pediatrician or their OB-GYN, how would yeah. they also assess to make sure that we are taking care of the vulnerable patient at that time? Yeah. yeah. I think um, you touch on a good point. I think one of the biggest things, and which is why I'm even building or adding to, you know, the program that I want to build is really 
recognizing these things early on in the pregnancy. So for some moms, waiting until the fourth trimester is often too late. So education is really the biggest thing uh, and awareness. So putting it ahead and saying, hey, this is possible and this is what it looks like. Um, there is the Edinburgh scale that we can do as pediatricians and OBs, but then it's not enough to provide the scale to the mom. It's what is the next step? So we need to be aware of who can help the moms and what's their access to that kind of, okay, are they, is their insurance even allow them to go to a psychiatrist or a counselor or a therapist, right? Because we're really good in medicine about checking off saying that we did something, right? I was talking about that today. Um, um, with like a baby who who was in the hospital, um, whose mom, you know, did drugs in pregnancy. And, you know, when DSS comes, they like to say, okay, we check off, they, the baby is going to this person, but they're not really aware of what is the home environment really like? Are you going to really be checking in to see, is this baby continuing to be safe, right? So instead of just being able to say, well, we did our part, right? right. I just like, yes, check, you gave the scale, but is there some follow-up? Like, did you check back in two weeks or a week later to see was, did she get the help she needed? It's like, it's like sending a referral, sending your patient to the cardiologist, but you know, you don't follow up. Did they make it to the cardiologist? What did the cardiologist right. say? Like, what's the next plan? And, and so sometimes we, we kind of, we practice medicine disjointed and we really need to focus we really need to be more multidisciplinary with the care we're providing. And so that's why I'm actually, um, I think it's in August, going to do perinatal mental health certification because I want to be more aware of what does it look like? Because a lot of things, people think we've ta we're taught a lot of things in residency, but we're really not. Like I was not really taught nothing about postpartum depression in residency, like not to the scale that I need to understand it if I really want to help moms, right? And so I think it's just, on us because you know they're trying to change so much about residency education i think that it's going to be on you as a provider um which some of my physician friends hate that word provider they're like i want to be called physician <laughs> but um <laughs> but they say you know we as as um people in healthcare, we it's going to be on us to be that much more curious and invested in the education and the learning that taking that continuous medical education very serious for ourselves. So not just to say, okay, I got the CME so I could keep getting my board, but I'm really learning some information that's value, going to be valuable to the patients that I'm serving. And so um, the answer to your question is going to take us really understanding what it does look like these diagnoses in the moms and, the, and being committed to a true follow-up to get them the help they need and not just saying, oh, I gave them that little scale and they were kind of here and I told mm -hmm. them where to go, but I didn't follow up if it was possible for them. No lie. I mean, the providers of the future are going to be the, are the ones who are not only just keeping up with the literature, but the ones who are also seeking to make healthcare better, right? I mean, anyone in uh, the Entree uh, MD school, right? That, that Facebook group, everyone's looking to learn. And those are kind of the providers. I, I, I use the term providers as well. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I seek out those providers, not only to learn from, but probably where I'll actually get my care from too, right? Because I think it's the next evolution of healthcare and they're looking around the corner. So good for you for getting that, or for, for getting that pre, um, that, cer sorry, certification for the, uh, perinatal, uh, mental health. That's, it sounds, mm -hmm. very, yeah, very cool. I know one of the things, um, that can lead to depression or at least anxiety, um, depressed mood in women new moms is breastfeeding, right? Especially if the baby can't latch. 
Yes. What do you tell mothers, you know, when you talk about building a team as well, I'm sure like a latching consultant is somebody that's of utmost priority with that. Yeah. What kind of value can you share about that? Yeah. So I think, again, it goes back to the awareness. So a lot of times we're waiting until the end to address some of the education around breastfeeding. So when a mom is in the hospital having her baby, that should not be the first time she's come across breastfeeding education because, you know, you really have to be prepared. That's why I used to do a postpartum planning workshop and I need to really get back to doing that. But I talked about like the areas that are affected when you have a baby and how you can build your systems and teams ahead of time. So like when you're in the beginning of your third trimester, you can be figuring out you can start interviewing a pediatrician. You can figure out who are the lactation consultants in your hospital. Um, if you're going to have a doula, do they have lactation training so they can come help you? Because the facility that you're going to deliver at, do they even have lactation consultants in house? What you know, are they around the clock? Or because that's why I became interested in it because you know, if a mom had her baby on the weekend, she was out of luck. Like because they would have somebody maybe just during the weekend, not on the weekend. It was like. Well, so if you have your baby on Saturday, you don't get the same experience. Like that to me didn't seem fair. So I was like, well, I could be one more person there, you know, pushing the breastfeeding in, in terms of educating and encouraging that mom because, you know, certain little key things you need to know right at the beginning of your journey that can to help you be successful. But if you don't know like that a baby will do cluster feeding, you'll think, oh, I'm starving my baby because they're making just drops of colostrum where you see this like 60 ml bottle of Similac or Infamil. And then a mom's like, I'm not making that much. And then, you know, they think they're doing something wrong. Right. Um, or culturally, like, so I, you know, it wasn't, I breastfed because I knew from a, a physician standpoint that it was important, but I hadn't even thought to ask my mom, but I did like afterwards, I was like, mom, did you breastfeed me? And she was like, yeah, actually. But a lot of people, that's not their story. They might be the first person in their circle of folks that are is breastfeeding. And so then they have that pressure of if it don't doesn't go exactly like they think, then there's grandma, auntie, cousin, sister in the corner, like, you just need to go ahead and give that baby some formula. And you're like, No, that is not the answer, you know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. they're already stressed out because they want to get it right. So you're already starting from a place of anxiety because you already want to get it right. Don't let you already be an anxious person, right? Because some people already have very anxious um, personalities or dealing with other mental health disorders, even going into pregnancy, right? And so that just exacerbates the situation having this added stressor on. So I tell my families, if you're committed, if you really want to breastfeed, get do a, pre, a breastfeeding prenatal breastfeeding class. So you know what it looks like that first one, you know, first few days in the hospital to at home, be committed, line up, know who can come help you, and it's really about knowing and advocating for yourself in a way, right? Like, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get behind the education that I need. And then I'm going to know who I can go to if I'm in trouble, just like just like we do with everything else. And, you know, I've started to recognize breastfeeding is medicine because there are medical conditions in moms that can impact their breastfeeding. And they may be blaming themselves and it may be something medical we need to address that'll make them more successful. So it's really getting the information then finding the right person that's going to help you just like you do when you're choosing a doctor right you know okay i'm pregnant i know i need to go see an ob because they need to do scans and they need to do labs and stuff well treat your breastfeeding journey the same okay i need to identify the lactation i need to get some pre you know what is pumping what do i need to do how do i know that i'm getting enough 
all that stuff will give you that baseline foundation so you can feel sure enough to be successful in your journey. Now, there are some people that it could be going well, but it stresses them out still. So you'll hear controversy about the Fed is best phrase. <laughs> and I think that's because people feel like the formula people coined that just to push like, oh, if you're able to breastfeed, at least you're feeding your baby some formula. And I I, I always say breast is best. Um but um, breast is the better thing to feed with, but feeding is the goal, right? So you right. want to be like, that is the goal that we can't argue that. But I always tell my families, unless you have some extended circumstances, give yourself a chance, you know, and by having the right support, you increase the chances of being successful. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, you use the word journey a couple of times there, even when it came to breastfeeding, which I think is very important for people to understand, right? So what we know about journeys from our life experiences is that it's imperfect, right? There's ups and downs. Yeah. And the only way to make the journey kind of worth it and try to reach your end goal is by advocating for yourself and getting the resources and educating and trusting the process, right? Figuring it out and, and finding someone, but trusting the process. So, yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. You need to have somebody in your corner. Like it's it's hmm. not meant to be when people use those cliche terms, like it takes a village. That is so true. Like it might be cliche, but it really is a perfect explanation of your pregnancy process, your motherhood process, any anything worthwhile that you're going to do like in your life. You know what I mean? You need that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, I want to jump over to the next kind of lifestyle factor here. Talk about movement and exercise, right? Something that doesn't really get a lot of attention when it comes to new moms. And I think there's a lot of myths out there or there's a lot of confusion. But do you recommend any specific type of progression when it comes to exercise or movement um, just for the mom to kind of feel healthy and kind of get back to however they want it to be or even, you know, more so just to kind of get the hormones aligned? Yeah, so that's a good question. I think that, you know, if you talk to the OBEs and, and things like that, they will say, you know, whatever, say if you were a fairly active person, you can, prior to pregnancy, you traditionally can continue that, you know, through your pregnancy. And then depending on what your delivery looks like, you know, like if it was, you know, traumatic, a lot of blood loss, different things, like in your pain tolerance, you know, you could, at the guidance of your OB, start doing some light things like walking and, and those kinds of movements. Um, as I've gotten on this journey, I've learned a lot more about uh, pelvic floor therapy um, and things like that. And like how chiropractors can help you. And I didn't even know all this. I was like, well, nobody tell me this when I was pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think the, the overall goal is light movement. Cause you know, if you've had a C-section, they're going to give you guidance about those kinds of things. So I think if that means a lot to you, you're most likely somebody who's already been in your on your fitness journey. You're gonna that's that's a part of what you recognize as part of your own self care and things like that. Then talking with your doctor is gonna be the best thing because in that moment they'll be able to make a specific recommendation based on what your overall health has looked like and pregnancy journey and also um, what your labor and delivery process was like, because that will also affect the recommendations. But overall, like getting back into more movement, I've even seen them in the hospital, like that second day, those C-section moms, they want them up and moving, uh, you know, even if it's just walking the floor, walking back to the bathroom. So definitely, even if it's like walking and movement, I think that definitely is, is recommended. And then just going um, at the uh, advice of your OB is always going to be best. Right. Makes sense. You know, I want to transition back to how you talk about concierge medicine and doing home visits because I, I just, I, the concept's very interesting and I think there's a lot to learn from it, right? Being a PM&R resident, 
we feel like sometimes we're we're kings of asking about the home environment, right? We have to know how many steps they have to enter. We have to know if they have a ramp, how many floors, the toilet, the shower, right? Because it's all about function. So I'm curious when you when you have a home visit, what are you looking for um, aside from just the patient interaction? Is there any type of clues that you're looking for that can help you guide better treatment down the road? Well, I think I mean you can look at just the overall like home environment to see you know are are things. I'm, I don't know how to put this, like just, I guess, overall assessing the home environment to see if you need to make any recommendations, especially when it comes to like the safety uh, of them taking care of their baby and like health and environment and things like that. Um, I think it just gives you more of a window into what are, what might be some of the struggles that your families might be going through that they mm-hmm. may not be so open about if you had no kind of like, you know, when when child support has to go and see, does the baby even have a crib or a bassinet or, you know, like things like that? Does it look like, you know, they have uh, a safe place for the baby to be and things like that? So that would really be like the biggest thing. To be fair, you know, I do like a cursory, but it's not like you're all over people's house sure. either. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like DSS where they're going to really be all up in your business, but but right. it's really just seeing are they comfortable in their living environment too, you know, um, and things like that. And I think it really more for the home visits are more for convenience. And even now, you know, I've kind of started to, like I said, you know, like, yes, me going to the house to do an exam is more convenient for the mom, but it's really about the time that you can spend. Um, and so I'm even looking at doing like a, a hybrid model of a brick and mortar and home because some people are still like some people don't want you in their house too like you know it's a very specific kind of people but they really want the time that you spend like like they were okay with coming to clinic the problem wasn't the clinic so much as well they took all this time to bring their baby there and you see them for like 70 minutes and it's like I didn't pack up this baby. I didn't have to do all this stuff. I'm in pain. I sat in the waiting room and I couldn't even really get the help that I felt I needed, the time and attention. So the home environment, more going there makes it more, um, more convenient, but it's really about what you're able to do with that time of sitting there with them and making them feel comfortable, you know, with you and things like that. Like you, like you're being more personable. Yeah. How does your model work? How long do you typically sit with patients? And then are, is it more than one visit typically? Or is it kind of just a one-time visit? My package is designed to do four in-home visits. Like it's over like 12 weeks. So four in-home visits, like, and then um, virtual check-ins in between. Because remember, like I was saying, it's not just the, um, oh, you know, I didn't did this one thing and then that's it. Like it's recognizing that there are going to be different things that are going to kind of arise as the baby's growing, as the mom is progressing on her journey as well. Right. So it's really about being accessible if I had to be honest. So um, I'm actually even thinking of creating like a membership model because when I, when I was starting this practice, I was hesitant to start because business is, um, you know, medicine is a business too. And then, you know, business has to make money to be sustainable. But then in order for the t- me being one person, the time it would take for me to do this, then I have to really have a pricier model almost just to, for it to be sustainable. And then it makes me feel like, well, I'm kind of isolating the very people that I feel like I'm trying to help. So I'm actually working on creating like a membership model with that. Because again, me, me as a pediatrician, 
yes, maybe they might need one or two visits with me, but not even necessarily in the home so much as maybe virtually or maybe just a phone call or sometimes it might be a quick question that they can ask, ask in a in a group thing like, hey, the baby was spitting up this and that and you can quickly say, oh, this, this and that. And then they're reassured because a lot of stuff they'll go to the pediatrician office for most of the time can be answered with a quick, you know, three to five minute phone call. And so looking at how I can create a model that can help a little bit more people, you know, without the cost of, okay, I got to pay you this much money just to get you to come up to my house. But, you know, I really need the help this kind of way. Yeah. And I think, you know, if, if, if a provider isn't listening to this, it can be tough to relate with that dilemma that we go through when it comes to where do I set my price? Because like you said, you have to be able to have a sustainable business, but then you're kind of also excluding people, right? And I've had people come up to me because as I think about this in the next two, three years, when hopefully I start my practice as well, you know, people have asked me like, oh, well, well, then you're only taking care of the rich, so to speak, you know? And, you know, a lot of times my answer is, well, it's to me, sometimes that can be better than spending 15 minutes and not really accomplishing anything over the course of 10 years with, you know, one person who can come and see me. Like, I'm not... I'm not executing at my best. I'm not doing my best. Right. And yeah. so I love the way you kind of talk about creating a model system, which I think has become more and more popular so that you can kind of expand that range, get more people, be more accessible to people, um, but still have the business afloat. So, yeah, because some people may really, because again, some people may really vibe into it and, and, and it may not necessarily be like the, the most rich, you know, which is something I learned at Entrepreneur Business School too. It's like, well, who values that service, right? Because right, right. somebody can't afford it, they may not necessarily care about it. And then somebody who, who may not be like extremely wealthy, that, that's something that they care about. So they, they save up for that. Like, like, like how somebody might use a doula and somebody else might not, right? Like True. they're, people who are very wealthy probably haven't gotten a doula. They might've just have somebody else accessible or something, or they might have their family that could rally around them or their mom that's going to come and be there. You know, like I, I felt like I was doing pretty well off and I had family. I didn't hire yeah. a doula, even though that's become more of a thing, like over the recently, I, for, at least in my, in, at least from my awareness, I've been seeing more uh, things about doulas over the last couple mm. of years, picking up, especially yeah. with maternal, mortality crisis and things like that being more um, discussed. So, so yeah, so I just really want to make good impact and and put out the help that I, you know, use my gifts in the way that that are meant to be used. You know, Ultimash and I were talking, uh, we heard this video where this guy was just saying, everybody is going to spend money at some point on their health. It just depends when, right? And so there's going to be people who value health early on and they're going to, they're going to pay into that subscription model and they're going to, value their health, right? So it's more than just kind of the, you know, socioeconomic class that comes down to a health priority. Um, I That's think true. you're so. right. Cause you're, cause there's some stuff, some people pay for, I, I don't, I don't have, it's funny. I'd have been in the hospital and some of my patients and had better cell phone than I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, man, I was still with that iPhone seven for a minute and they was on to the 14. <laughs> and probably the 15 coming out in like two months. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, that's like my husband would be like, now, you know, that phone is cracked. Why don't you just let it go? I'm like, I'm going to wait till it dies. <laughs> right, but there's somebody that this is the next model. That's their thing. Right. So you're right. It does go down to like your priorities and your interests. Right. We do make, we do make the things we want happen, happen. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, Dr. Jess, this has been a lot of fun. I have a couple more questions here for you. Yeah, um, no uh, what is next for you? So, okay, actually, let me let me back up. Okay. If you could have a dream team, right, 
you talking about bringing other providers on, what would your dream team consist of? Like which type of providers would be the best to go for a home visit and keep that continuity of care alive? Yes. I'm glad you asked that because when I thought about the maternal health crisis, I'm like, we need to start in pregnancy. We don't need to wait until they've had the baby in there at home in the struggle. So as soon as a mom finds out she's pregnant and, and if we do really good about our awareness and, 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 and showing people in the world that we want to make pregnancy and health a priority, then as soon as a mom is pregnant, she's going to get a care team assigned to her that will follow her into into her postpartum journey. So that would include um, the provider, which could be an OB, midwife, you know, and the pediatricians, like if you put as like as the lead, like the leaders of the team, so to speak. And then you would have doula, you would have lactation consultant, you would have social worker, it'd be a mental health person, like a counselor or a therapist, right? Um, nutritionist, because some people might need a counsel on like, let me customize a plan for you on like, these are the things you need to eat to optimize your health in this pregnancy because you have this, this, and this, that risk factor, right? So again, it's somebody that's following them along. So not every person will be needed at every time, right? So the, the doula might be more of a consistent person along and then maybe social worker be able to, okay, hey, this this resource or this issue has come up, you know, at 20 weeks hey, let's get, the, let's get the social worker on it so we can start working on X, Y, and Z, right? So then the doula may fall into being your advocate at the hospital or the home birth or wherever you are. And then your pediatrician will come in and they'll do that. And then that doula person can still be, because like I said, I go to the house, I see the baby, I may educate you and talk to you, but you're also still concerned about the stressors of, I got laundry to do, I need to, I got to cook and I got other kids that I need to pick up from school. So it's really building a real a real support team that at every step and every phase, the mom has a person that is a professional that is committed to success in that area and helping them to be the best. And so that's what I would envision. And I, my big hairy audacious goal, as Dr. Luna says, is to have a postpartum wellness center. And so after that, they will, you know, they can come and continue to like if they want to get out the house because again, not everybody wants you all up in their house, but they still want the resources and the access and the community. They need community, so then they can be other moms at this place. There can be more lactation help. Oh, you want to get a nice massage? Oh, let's have a course about let's you know, oh, have a little round table about breastfeeding struggles or you know, mental health challenges or whatever, right? And so. I just think it, it's hope being real holistic. And I remember when I used to just laugh at that term, but it is such an important term because we're not, we're not one phase, we're multifaceted. And I think our care needs to be approached the same way. Absolutely. I love that. It's more talking about more of the integrated model of healthcare, right? And yeah. we actually had Dr. Um, Omolara, um, Dr. Owen from Melanin. Oh, I Medicine. love her. I'm in her yeah. vision building program. Yes, I oh, am. Amazing. So she came on and she was, she, um, enlightened me saying that, you know, it's an 80, 20 percentage, 20% of a, a patient's health is determined by what we do, our treatment, our medication, kind of what we do. And 80% is actually all social determinants of healthcare. So what they do at home, what they do at work, their food, nutrition, all that. Right. And that was kind of mind blowing to me. Right. Because like you said, we're multifaceted, multifaced. And so often we get siloed as providers thinking about our 20% is actually the, you know, 90 to hundred percent where it's not even close. So yes. yeah. Like what is the patient's story before they hit your door? And see, I think that is what has made me 
uh, effective as a, a pediatrician is I do care about those details. When I am, and when I am doing something for a family, I try to make it as easy on them as possible. You know, like, okay, you need this. Well, what pharmacy is really going to be best for you? Or what, what is this, you know, and, and, oh, hey, do you know you can use this good RX coupon that can get you a little bit, you know, I'm involved mm -hmm. in making sure what can I do to make them successful at following out my treatment plan, right? Instead of just saying, like, like I said, we're good at checking the box. Here, here's the script. I'm done. I did my part. I told him to go take a moxicillin. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Did we make sure that they really had the wherewithal to go get this medicine? Like, you know, and, and did we let them know, hey, if you have problems, please reach back out to our office so we can help you. Like that's that's what people need. For sure. Totally. Well, Dr. Jess, tell our audience what is next for you. <laughs> it might be a loaded question. <laughs> Oh, it's it's really more of the same. It's like it's funny you say that because I am. I feel like I'm evolving even as I started this, as I yeah. learn more. Um, and I follow this. I read this article uh, by Navi Jane in um, Entrepreneur Thing. He's fantastic. I listened to him on the Dealmakers podcast. I was like, I love this guy. I need to meet him. But um, he was just talking about like focus on keep keep your eye on the problem, but don't be married to the solution. Like mm -hmm. your solution is the gist because there might be, you might need to pivot the way you solve that problem. And you're like, but that, this is how I said, I'm going to do it. And then, but something else might be showing you like, actually it might be better if you do it this way. Right. And so again, I'm like, what? that's why I'm saying like me going to the home. Okay. But am I really solving the problem that I'm setting out to solve? I'm only one person. And yes, while this may make it more convenient for the mom, what else are they worried about? Right. And how can I help be a part of that solution? So it's really just me evolving this this business and working more towards um, how can I add that on? The subscription model, I think, is really the next best thing um, for me, because it, it, I think that's a way to start it and still have that accessible in home for those who are just really so excited about that. But I think really where my um, gifts are better at is making it where I can create a community for moms to come into early, like in that third trimester, where they can start getting that education that I feel they're, they're not getting by the time they hit me at the door at the hospital. And then they have that support after they brought the baby home so they don't feel that they're alone. So that's what's next for me. Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic perspective. And I'm definitely looking forward to watching you make that happen. So I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. That was exciting too. <laughs> yeah. What are your socials? Where can our audience find you? Okay, so Instagram is usually my main page because it's also linked to my Facebook business page, but it's at mom and me underscore MD. Um, and so, and then on Facebook, I have a mom and me MD concierge newborn and postpartum care uh, site. But I spend a lot of time on on Instagram, and then I use TikTok for more of the educational videos because I've found that people like those real quick, like how do you do this with your newborn, or you know, little things like that that they're scrolling in the middle of the night, like what is. You know how you latch your baby. So I said, I said I would uh, would do that, and that was part of my inspiration for coming up with the model. I'm like, well, if people want quick little videos, I can create that in my program where they have a portal and or an app of my own that they could go into and be like, my baby's spinning up. Let me see what Doctor Jess has to say about that real quick. You know, and so um, I, I just think this is really about being being a trusted person for a family on their journey. 
Totally. And for the audience, you can just swipe up as you're listening to this and you'll find those in our show notes for easy access. Uh, last but not least, Dr. Jess, the last question we ask all of our guests, and we totally understand that this could be a whole nother episode. A lot of it we touched on already, but how do we add the health back to healthcare? Oh, I think we need to add the health and the care back to healthcare. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> so I think we add the health by getting to the root of why we have problems with our health. And, and again, is is taking it, stop looking at things surface level um, and, and say, what is really at the core of the problems that we are dealing with? Kind of like what Dr. Omolara talked about, that 80-20. And it's funny, 80-20 isn't like everything. 80-20 in business, 80-20 in relationships, 80 health <laughs> like yeah. it's really it really is important to realize like where is the most the bulk of the of your effort should be put towards something right and which is where preventative care came from they're like well we could just get ahead of it we wouldn't have to be trying to fix people if we can get ahead of it so i think it's really expanding our um our definition of preventative care not to just what is happening with people's bodies but what's happening in people's lives right like like I saw a thing on LinkedIn, like housing is healthcare. And I was like, that is a neat thing to, uh, that's a neat perspective, right? Housing is healthcare. I'm like, that, that's kind of true. Because again, like Dr. O said, um, so putting the health is is really digging into where where are we failing in helping people to be healthy and, and being willing to go the distance to solve the problem. And then putting the care in it is just re reminding ourselves of our own humanity and our own mortality and saying, hey, if we want to be around to live the life that we feel we need to live, then it takes us investing in ourselves and in those around us. So that's how we do it. Love it. Well, Dr. Jess, you've got amazing energy, amazing attitude, growth mindset. So I'm, I'm truly excited to follow your journey. Thanks so much for coming on here. I just even love the name of your podcast. Like, <laughs> I think that we do need to redefine things. I think when we are stuck in one thing, just because we've always done it, I think that's when we're cutting ourselves short from the progress we can make. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to listening to this episode. If you have any insights, any questions, or even any guest recommendations, please feel free to email us at medredefined at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us on social media. We are on TikTok, we're on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, you name it, we'll be there. As always, our medical disclaimer, everything in this podcast is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine and we are not providing medical advice. No physician-patient relationship is formed and anything discussed in this podcast does not represent the views of our employers. We recommend that you seek the guidance of your personal physician regarding any specific health-related issues. And thank you to our team, Ethan Jew and Harita Yapuri for the production of this podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you.